Welcome, everybody. This is Imran Nanlawala, and I'm here with my amazing, my gracious, the Mr. Wonderful Habib Qadri. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Great to, ha- great to be here with you. <laughs> so, uh, guys, welcome to our new digital discourse, and we're going to be interviewing academics, teachers, scholars, community builders, leaders, and really getting to know what makes them grind, what makes them tick, and what makes them so special. So today on our first episode, we have a very amazing and great, a great guest, Dr. Leila Shatara, who is the president of CISNA. She is currently a PhD candidate and graduate research assistant in the Department of Educational Leadership and Research Methodology at Florida Atlantic University. She has earned both her bachelor's and master's degrees from Florida Atlantic University, where she also serves as an adjunct professor in the Department of Curriculum, Culture, and Educational Inquiry. She has served in leadership positions and public and faith-based schools for over 14 years, and she is someone who specializes and is an expert in accreditation. Before we bring her on, Habib, you want to add anything to that? I uh, know. We, we got a superstar here, from, especially for the, for the Muslim community, so we're really excited to have her here and, and gain some knowledge from her. So without further ado, Dr. Shatara, how are you? Alhamdulillah. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. It's a pleasure to be here, to hang out with you guys today. Pleasure is ours. Pleasure is ours. It's a benefit to be able to learn uh, from you and to be in your presence. So, Habib, I'll let you, I'll let you start us off, and uh, we'll go from there. So, you know, Dr. Layla, you know, um, you've been in education for many years, and you've seen not just your own school, but you've seen other schools. You maybe consulted for other schools. You've got to see some evaluation trips of other schools. So, you know, this idea of you know seeing Islamic schools from from all levels, from, you know, from the balcony, from the field, from the ground level, board level. Uh, why do you think this idea of accreditation, why do you think it's important, like, you know, in this work that you are doing? I, Bismillah. I think, you know, when we start our, establish our Islamic schools, we have a really, really lofty missions, right? SubhanAllah, the, our missions are to really establish Allah's deen, to teach our children their deen. And, and people start with, full, you know, hearts into it and, and really um, jump into it um, with full force. Um, the accreditation process really forces us to take a look at what we're doing and to ensure that we're actually doing what we set out to do in the first place, which is really teach our students their dean, have them love their dean to establish, uh, you know, an Islamic environment. So the accreditation process is really um, a, a practice, a process that allows us to self-evaluate, to look at what we're doing, how we're doing it, are we achieving the goals we set out to do, and how well we're doing that. And, and it's a it's it's a time to there's always room for improvement, right? No matter how great your school is, no matter how wonderful your institution is, there's always room for growth and development, just like anything else. And accreditation process is is also um, in place for that reason. It's a continuous process. You don't just do accreditation once. It's something you renew either annually or every five years or every 10 years, but it allows you to, again, look at yourself, look at your school, how you're doing, are you meeting student needs? Are you creating the right right environment? So, you know, as Muslims, we're always asked to reach for excellence, right? Everything that we do should be done in striving for excellence. So the accreditation process is part of that. Um, process. Okay, let me ask a practical question. You guys are the experts, and I'm I'm just completely new to this. So, 
when you when you when you said everything that you just mentioned, the first thing that I thought about was as a teacher, I used to teach ESL. So we have a curriculum, we have textbooks, we have to come up with curricular objectives, then we have to come up with the lesson plans. A lot of this sounds like it's very practical. And also as a teacher, I, I have a lesson plan, right? And if I deviate from my lesson plan, I might miss the uh, attended uh, objectives of that lesson. And then maybe quarterly or even weekly, I can I can assess myself based on my own planning in terms of how I'm doing. So is that similar to why we uh, why we self-evaluate and look for accreditation? Well, that's a, that's an excellent analogy, actually. You know, some teachers say that they're natural, right? They they don't need lesson plans, right? You can step into the classroom and teach the lesson. Well, you may be able to do that, and you may be able to teach something, but how do you really know? what you set out to do and what parts of that you actually met. And that's exactly what the accreditation process is. It's a list of standards based on best practices. And it's a checklist. It's literally a checklist. You know, are we doing this? Yes. Are we doing that? We need, you know, just like a lesson plan with objectives and standards, you're able to be very specific about what you're looking at uh, rather than just saying, okay, our school's doing well, you know, people are happy. Um, that doesn't really tell you much, just like if you don't really have a list of objectives or goals for your lesson, you don't know if you met those unless you actually have a checklist to go through, right? So it's an excellent analogy. So if you, you know, knowing that there's about like 275 schools, uh, Islamic schools in the United States, um, how many how many schools do you think have have started this process of accreditation? Um, so with CISNA, we have 38 schools that are accredited with CISNA itself. Um, we probably a, a lot more have done some type of accreditation, mm -hmm. but every school, every Islamic school should be accredited. You know, we, we, as Muslims, we should always be striving to be the best at everything we do. And, and we can't do that unless we have best practices in place. But, um, I, we don't have a lot of statistics as you know, about our Islamic schools. We're moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. Alhamdulillah. But um, definitely not all of our schools are accredited right now. Habib, I'm going to throw a question your way because yeah. you, you coach basketball. You also played basketball. Mm -hmm. What are some of the benefits of now as a coach evaluating yourself and trying to figure out if the coaching is working? Can you give us some like real life correlations? Because teachers, educators, coaches it all seems to be you know following the same principles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think one of the, the, the big key, as, as Dr. Leila kind of brought up, is that to have that self-evaluation, right? Everything that you want to do is you want to get better at. Even athletes, you see LeBron James, they, they, they say he puts in $1 million worth of exercise and nutrition to his body. But then people might say, why? Because if he could stay longer, be better, there might be more benefits, right? For him, it might be a financial benefit. For us, we're also, it might not be a financial benefit, but it's the academic benefit for our, our kids of the idea of why we do what we do. We teach them so we could have successful kids in, in this world and also in the hereafter. And I think I think that that aspect of of of, of you know reevaluating, putting time, effort, breaking things down, like in athletes, right? Every game, quarter by quarter, break things. Halftime, we go through a whole new plan and say, let's do this. We still got a chance to fix it. And I think as a school, there's that day-to-day -day stuff, but then from that, you know, from the balcony, so what about the whole organizational structure? What do we need to do? And I think what's great about uh, Dr. Leila, it's like accreditation. It's not like, hey, one time is it done, or is it like every few years you have to come back again and again? Right. So that is the great thing about, one of the great things about accreditation. It is, you have to renew accreditation. So um, depending on the organization, you have to do it 
um, something annually. There has to be some process that you do annually to kind of review. Um, some do it every five years, some every 10 years, but it is a continuous improvement process so that you're constantly doing that self-evaluation. Um, and again, like um, Brother Habib said, this is about our, our children, the students, right? Everything that we do with accreditation is actually focused, are we serving our students in the best way possible? And that's what it comes down to. All the standards that are um, part of accreditation come down to serving our students in the best way. From you visiting so many schools and have it, what, what do you think are the biggest challenges? Like, you know, that you're seeing in Islamic schools and why hopefully having an outside party come and try to help, not you know, rectify, but just to, to uh, kind of uh, buffer and, and you know, put that new shine on that school. That's actually a good point. It's, it's, it's probably stagnancy, right? We, we, we started, we established our schools. We're actually fairly new. Right? Keep in mind as institutions, Islamic schools are new compared to other private schools that have been around for hundreds of years. But we, we get stuck in doing the same things over and over in the same way. And you can't do that, right? You have to keep in mind the context of the students you're serving, how they've changed, their needs change, the environment changes, the culture changes. So we just like you would do, you know, if you have a lesson plan, I'll go back to your analogy of lesson plans. You can't have, and I've seen teachers do this. I had an earth science teacher that had the same lesson plans for 19 years, like on paper. And I was like, okay, this is this is not happening. But um, you can't teach the lesson the same way every year. That's like insane. Um, and you can't run a school the same way every year. I mean, w when we were hit with a pandemic, if you weren't able to like jump and be able to be innovative, creative, and jump through hoops and do backflips to really change things in the school, you couldn't run the school. So we have to be able to make changes and, and uh, modifications to meet our students' needs. Again, um, the students now are not the same as 10 years ago. They're not the same as five years ago. They're not even the same as a year ago. Um, so it's that need for renewal that, um, really, that really impacts our schools the most. You cannot be stagnant. And sometimes um, our schools tend to be just doing the same thing over and over each year and, and we're no longer in that place. So I'm, I'm just, again, the, the wheels are turning now, right? So in Islam, in the deen, in our, in our, in our faith that we share, it says, you know, stagnation is not good, right? We, we're taught that that's, you're never supposed to stagnate, always supposed to progress, even in little, little bitty pieces at a time. And then now you've mentioned uh, stagnation is something that our schools unfortunately fall into. And then you just mentioned that students, the students of today are not the students of 15 or 20 years ago. So the constant improvement and the constant quality assurance and the constant introspection even is needed because it just it mirrors the rest of life. Right. Life. Yes. Life never stagnates. Um, it's very beautifully said, Dr. Leila. And uh, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll ask you a question on the flip side. Since you mentioned earlier that our schools are new, like uh, Islamic schools in America, they're relatively new compared to other faith traditions and public schools. So what are some of the unique challenges that our schools face that maybe make this concept of accreditation seem like far-fetched? I, I think um, one of the things is that our founders are still there. Like the people who founded the schools are still part of the school boards of the governance committees are still on the PTOs. 
So, and, and they're wonderful. Like I, I, I don't want to ever dismiss what they've done for us. Like we would not be here without the founders. May Allah reward all the founders of our institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I give credence to them, credit to them. Um, but the fact that they stay on for so long sometimes holds us back a little bit because if they're not able to, if they have not been engaged in learning um, about education, they don't know what the schools need. So they tend to get stuck and sometimes hold the schools back. And I think that's one of the areas that we're, we sometimes struggle with in our schools. Habib, I'll pass it back to you, brother. So one of, one of the things that, because, you know, we talked about like, you know, I won't call it the founder syndrome, but, you know, it's that governance, right? I think that's where sometimes that happens. So, you know, you know so when, you, when, you, when you do accreditation for some like boards who might be listening to this, uh, 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 board members or even leaders, uh, community members, uh, Muslim leaders here. Uh, and when and, and you do accreditation, are there certain standards that they're looking at? I know like governance might be one that they has. That. Is there any other standards that kind of pop out that I think really would for a lot of our viewers to know why this is so important? Right. So I'll just I'll touch on the system standards. And the first one is actually governance. And it has to do with the role of the board versus the role of the administration. Um, what that relationship looks like, what the responsibilities of each entity are, how they evaluate themselves, um, how the board can evaluate the principal. But that governance piece, again, it starts at the leadership position, right? Whatever happens at the top is going to trickle down. So you need to have a highly functional board in order to have a highly functional school. And um, sometimes we get into a little bit of trouble with that because uh, imagine like uh, working in a silo, right? You, you're in your community, you work in, in, and you give your all, you give years and years, but you don't interact with other schools. You don't interact with a lot of other people. Um, so you don't see, right? The best way to learn is to actually experience things. And I think sometimes our boards don't have enough experience outside of their communities to see some of the things that, that they need to work on. And um, Governance, so when we talk about standards, governance is definitely one. And then the administration is another, looking at how the administration functions. Um, teaching and learning is another standard. And then um, school culture. Those are the four major areas that we look at in each. Then there's a breakdown under each standard um, with specific details of what we're looking for. And especially that school culture, you know, I, I think that is something that Islamic schools I think have to e- keep on evolving, right? You know, because I think when, when 15, 20 years ago, it was just like, hey, we're just starting off the process. And like, look, as long as academics are good and we're learning, <laughs> that's it. And I think, uh, especially growing up here, I think of all three of us, I think that played a big part, right? It's that the school experience. And, and when you have that, that, that good vibe, like school religious experience, it could change your, the trajectory of these individuals of having that relationship of not just the academic world, but the spiritual world, right? The, you know, the dean. And I think that that yeah. part of school culture, if you take all those four standards, which one, Sister uh, Dr. Leda, have you noticed that people, are, are, a lot of our, our schools are might be, you know, which one they're kind of maybe not struggling, but need to improve on? I think it would definitely be governance. Um, uh, our school culture, I think, would be our strongest area. You know, our kids are generally, and our parents are very happy. You know, we do that 
the whole where the brotherhood, the sisterhood is there, that nurturing is there. But our, our governance and our, our leadership, it's changing. I do think we're changing. We're, we're making a turn. I mean, if you think back, Brother Habib, even 10 years ago, when we looked at who our principals were, they were usually people in, in, from other fields. But now we're, we're getting principals who are in education, who've been through uh, teaching. Um, so that governance piece and leadership piece is probably the, the area we're still struggling with. And I think that's the area we need to focus on. And for CISNA, um, that's actually one of the major focus areas is, is um, training for governance uh, in, in boards, inshallah. So I guess my next question is, you know, we, we're talking about governance. We've talked about it's clear that um, accreditation is important. You know, we've made that very clear. So I guess the, the very important stakeholders would be teachers. So how do we get teachers to buy in to uh, to the importance of accreditation and make them willing participants and making sure that we are working towards becoming accredited? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm going to keep going back to the lesson plan analogy sure. because um, I, I've worked with a, with um, some schools where teachers like refuse to do lesson plans. I, I've been doing this for a long time. I don't need anybody to tell me to write it down. Um, but when you when you really go through um, and explain that it's a self evaluation process, right? An accrediting agency comes in and actually validates that you're doing what you say you're doing. Um, and so for teachers or parents or boards, the, that reassurance that we're not coming to tell you what to do, we're not coming to see if you're, doing, if you're good or if you're not so good, we're not judging you. We're coming in to see, are you doing what you set out to do? That's all, we're kind of walking with you through this process. Mm -hmm. We're holding your hand, we're saying, okay, so you, you want students to learn these things. Well, are they? You wanted to create this culture. And I think it's just, I don't think it's that difficult to, to have people buy into accreditation. I don't know that we've had that difficulty. Sometimes people think it's a lot harder to start than it is. And all you have to do is decide that you want valid, you want external validation. If you decide you want external validation that you have a highly functional school, then, um, then you, would, you would apply for accreditation. Um, I think teachers uh, um, do want to do what's best for students. And if we focus on that, again, it, uh, the, the wonderful thing about working in a faith-based school and an Islamic school is you always just remind them for the sake of Allah um, and, and people just, it's fine. I mean, I worked in public school and I, I would do trainings and all kinds of things. And then I was, it was like this, um, whew, this light turned on when I came into Islamic school because all you had to do was say, Allah said, the prophet said, and everybody just did it. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that, um, that's about all you need to do. And, and there's enough uh, examples in, in the Sunnah of the Prophet about wanting to be the best that we can be, um, about self-evaluation and improvement that I think our teachers and, and our parents would easily buy in. Again, we just, we want to be the best Muslims we, we can be, and this would just be on that path. And so, so if, if now someone wanted to, um, as we talked about, there are different accreditation agencies, and it's kind of you know good uh, to you know the different organizations that's out there. I know there's some very very popular ones, and I know Cisna has worked with some of the most. I think it used to be Advanced uh, NCA, Advanced, now it's Cognia. But Cisna has kind of have built some form of a partnership, or even have have some uh, their own accreditations uh, as they're kind of building on their own and building a new platform. So. Can you just give us a heads up why, why you know, hey, maybe for some viewers who might have not got their accreditation and why they should maybe kind of consider CISNA and, you know, the relationship that they have with these other agencies and, uh, and, and, and 
why and then and how and what would they what would they what steps do they need to take to kind of go ahead and start this process so um i've served on dozens of accreditation visits right it's islamic schools private schools public schools um when they come in, they're looking for certain things. They have their standards, right? And they're looking, you you can go through an entire accreditation process with, with another organization, and they don't really look at what are you teaching in Islamic studies, your Quran curriculum, how is your Arabic program, is it six? They really don't know what to look, they wouldn't know what to look for. And sometimes they invite, you know, a Muslim to join them so that they can help them, but they're still not looking at enough of what's happening, right? And, and that's our mission. So to me, I, I mean, when you really think about it, um, an, a, a non-Muslim agency is coming to accredit an Islamic school whose mission is based on their deen. It, even though it helps, it does. I mean, we've all done it. We all have, a, and they, it's a great process. But I think if you really want to make sure that you're meeting your mission and that your programs in Islamic studies, Quran and Arabic and building that, that culture of Islamic environment, you really need to have an organization like CISNA. And CISNA is the only accrediting agency for Islamic schools. You really need to have those standards from CISNA um, because we based our standards on what we've seen the needs of Islamic schools are, right? We've, we took our you know decades of experience and we worked on creating standards that are based on best practices that look similar to other agencies. Um, but we also had them reviewed by Muslim scholars and uh, practitioners who are non-Muslim to make sure that um, they met the needs of uh, what schools need. So I think if you really wanna make sure that you're meeting your mission, uh, it would have to be done through a, like a CISNA accreditation included. And we're, we're hoping, inshallah, we're working towards um, being able to accredit schools on our own. You know, um, we, we did re, rewrite our um, standards. They're more rigorous, they're more detailed, um, and they um, analyze more of the school than we had in the past. So we're hoping to, inshallah, soon move towards um, being able to give a credit, a credit schools on our own. So, so Dr. Leila, if people wanted to find out more about CISNA and some of its offerings, where would they go? Just go to our website at cisnausa.org and um, the, the process is listed there. It's very simple. There's an application um, and it's a, a simple form. You submit the application and then our executive director and our board will help you, your school through the process. Awesome. And just to kind of like close out with uh, what you guys are mentioning and the importance of accreditation and planning. Funny story. So I got my master's in 2010 and I had a, my master's was in higher education leadership. Undergrad was in literature and a minor in TESOL. So I moved to Saudi Arabia in Jeddah in 2011 to teach at King Abdulaziz University. And uh, I was overtly confident. You know, I said, I'm American. I have two degrees. English is my first language. This is going to be a walk in the park. And as I was like literally walking towards my class, like dread, <laughs> real, real dread took over. It's a university, you know, it's a university, university lecture hall, many students. Um, and the first week they had me shadow a teacher. And this guy had amazing, amazing rapport with the students. He was using like a foam ball to throw at the students to catch and they would talk and everybody, it was flowing. So when I took over, I had no idea what I was doing, just to be, to, to be very frank, right? Um, and the, the good thing is the university gave us pacing guides. Uh, so as a new teacher, it's helpful. Maybe as an experienced teacher, not so much, but as a new teacher, they, they tell you exactly week by week and day by day, what are the objectives that you're supposed to be covering? 
and it'll also recommend what pages of the book you should be uh, you should be using. So in the first couple of weeks, my coordinator, he came in to give me an informal assessment. And by a couple of weeks, I thought I was doing a great job. You know, I'm, I have the book open in front of me. I'm, I'm talking to the students. So he sits in the back. He doesn't say anything. And then at the end of the class, after all the students leave, he calls me to the back. Because I still remember his name, uh, Rida, Rida from Tunisia. So he says, come, come in the back. I said, yes, Rida, what's going on? He says, look at the board. I said, okay. He said, no, look at the board. He said, what do you see? I said, I can't see it. He goes, exactly. He goes, <laughs> he goes, you have to, when you're doing board work, you have to think about all the students, not just the students that sit in the front of the uh, front of the class. And it was like a light bulb moment in terms of something that I didn't even think about. And then um, we were assessed very heavily in terms of our lesson planning and our guides and how strict we were with our time management. But by the end of it, it made us better instructors. And it made us more accountable and it improved the way uh, we taught in class and how efficient our teaching was. So thank you both for, you know, your decades of experience and what you guys are bringing to uh, education and especially Islamic school. So just uh, thank you from my side. All the viewers, please make make dua for this uh, this young doctor lady. <laughs> may Allah increase her in health, Amen. wealth, knowledge, and iman and all the work she has been doing at her community, but also for the Islamic schools throughout the United States. May Allah protect and to make things easy for her and her family and, and the community, inshallah. Amen. Thank you so much, Dr. Layla, for taking your time. Jazakumullah khair. It's been a pleasure. Assalamu alaikum. alaikum and uh, thank you, everybody. This was our first episode. So we're very thankful for you watching. Do subscribe, do like. And we have many, many, many episodes to follow that are going to be as rewarding as this one. And this series is brought to you by the Wallaway Foundation. And we'll see you next time. Hope you any final messages from you. Thank you so much. All right. Tune in next time. We're going to have more and more topics. All right, guys. Take care.